0: So good morning everyone. As you've just heard, my name is Scott Taylor. Thank you for saying I was wonderful. Thank you. And Kay and Gary, great to have you back in the room. These guys have been, yeah, they've been away from RFC for a long time. They're just on holiday and they've just popped in to see us. It's great to see you guys. We may have some technical issues this morning in terms of my slide set that I had ready. So you might just have to put up with me and not have any pretty pictures and slides and all that kind of thing going on behind. But I think you're going to be all right with that, aren't you? Yeah, Yeah, some people are. The rest of you are going, no, I don't know. I wanted something to look at. I can't just look at you the whole time. Um, I'm on the staff and leadership team here at the church. It's great to be in front of you all. I just want to start, before I get to the preach, I just want to fill you in on uh, some things that are going on uh, wider than here. So we've got Sean and Liz that are over with the Bets and the Bocters, as has already been mentioned this morning. We've got Andy McCulloch is actually over in Coventry this morning. We sent him to Coventry for that reference that people understand. We sent him to Coventry to preach this morning. Uh, so he's up there as well. So this is working out what we do, what our whole vision is of serving the town of Reading, bringing the kingdom of God to the town of Reading and beyond, the beyond pieces, both this nation and the nations and it was only two weeks ago that James Anderson and myself we went to Croatia and so you saw my good friend Zdenko give a warm welcome, it's catching, it's this microphone he brought a warm welcome to us didn't he Um, And Stenko's been a friend of mine now for 10 years, a friend of our church for 10 years. We've been traveling over for 10 years to serve the church out there. We've got some good links now with different groups um, that are kind of, they they call them prayer groups, we'll call them life groups, but some of them are like an hour away from where the actual church is in Varazin, which is to the north of Croatia. So me and James went out two two weeks ago, first time in two years. It was like going home to family so walked into somebody's front room it was their life group uh walked through to see the lady she hugged me and cried because it was that kind of affection that togetherness that oneness that we've known and shared and she's missed for 2 years and so we we ministered with another guy from called nevershire he's from the south of the country an apostolic figure across yugoslavia uh, ex yugoslavia um known in like all across that kind of uh, that region so we had a chance to, to be with him. So got to know him as well. Been invited to go and speak at his church next time we're back. So as a church, we're gathering more and more links in Croatia. And I'm hoping to take more and more with you as time goes on. And when I mention the south, some of you are likely to go, Oh, I'll come on that trip to the south of Croatia. That sounds nice. Um, just to let you know, the church is healthy, it's doing really well, all the different groups are growing, they're seeing salvation, they're seeing healings, it was an exciting time to be amongst them, they have been they carried on gathering throughout COVID, working out whether they should wear masks or not wear masks, and we've also now got a, a, a church connection within Zagreb, um, a pastor that I'm getting to know, and it looks like we're going to be invited there, I was invited to go and preach this time, uh, and to just meet the church, but actually, this time around, a political faction needed to use the building they are in, so we didn't get to do that. Uh, but, but our links are growing as a church in that mighty nation of Croatia. So I just wanted to let you know that they feel deeply connected to Reading Family Church and therefore Catalyst, the part, a part of New Frontiers we're in. And Zdenko said, if, if you're not in Catalyst anymore, we're not in Catalyst anymore because we're Reading Family Churches is where we are. They feel like they are our sister church, and it sits all the way over in Croatia. So if you're in your prayers this week, if you think, think of uh, the nations, think of Croatia, think of Zdenko and the team out there, please pray for them. Pray that they would have wisdom, know what God wants them to do next. It's a real privilege to be part of their journey as a church. Okay, that's good. I just thought I'd give you an update. You send me and often you don't get to hear what's gone on. I could go on with stories. There were lots of great ones, but um, I think we need to get on with the preach. So to this morning, I'm continuing our Daniel series, um, looking at what we can learn in order to live as exiles in the country that we live in, just as they were living in exile in the stories that we read in the book of Daniel. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 3. For some of us, it will be a very familiar story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So we're going to be looking at that, and we're going to look at what it takes To take a stand, to make a stand. We're going to be looking at that this morning. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get on with the preach. Father, I thank you so much that we can gather this morning in your name. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving amongst us. And I pray now as I speak, I pray your spirit would continue to move. Would move in our hearts and move in our minds. I pray, Lord, that any words that I speak that haven't come from you would be quickly forgotten. But I pray, Lord, that the words that you've had me prepare for this morning, that I've heard clearly from you, would quickly go into our hearts and into our minds. We want to go away this morning knowing that we've met with you, not just in a good time of singing, but through your word being explained to us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Daniel 3. And I'm not going to read the whole passage. As you, if you look in your Bible, you'll see it's a, it's a long old passage. It would take half the time to actually go through that. So I just want to start with King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. That's where the passage starts. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now this isn't surprising that he would have made an image of gold. We heard about it last week where the dream, that dream that he had was about this great image a frightening image standing before him. And the head of that image, if you remember from last week, if you remember from two, was made of gold. And then as it went down, it was there was other, other silver and, and then it was iron and bronze and all kinds of things. And that was a kind of sense of division coming in and other kingdoms rising up and taking over his kingdom. So I can imagine being King Nebuchadnezzar and having that dream explained to me, going, right, if we have a whole statue of gold, a whole image of gold, then no other kingdom can come against. we're going to show our ferocity and our force. Not only is the head going to be gold, but the whole thing is going to be gold. And so it's not surprising that this is the idea that he comes up with. And so he gets this, he gets this idea, and it, this thing is it erect this image that's erected it's, it's 90 feet high. Imagine 90 stories, a 90 story build, a nine story nine story building, that's it, not 90 stories, a nine story building that's 90 foot, okay? That's quite tall, isn't it? It's big and only nine foot wide. I mean that's quite a feat of engineering by anyone's planning. you know if you can build something that's nine oh hello, if you can fall off there, that'd be grand. If you can can build anything that's like 90 90 foot high and 9 feet wide and it stands, I think you should be applauded, particularly if it's made of a heavy material like gold. But this is what they made, and it's placed in Jura, the plain of Jura, a place for all to see it. It's really obvious for everyone. It's in plain sight. He doesn't want it hidden away in a temple. He doesn't want this thing hidden away in a lecture theater somewhere. No, it's there for everyone to see. And if it wasn't obvious enough, he makes sure that all the people that matter are there at its ded- dedication. He, have, he invites, he advertises the fact that there is a new thing happening in his kingdom. There's a new religion. There's, there's something new a-stirring. We, we don't know whether the image that he made was actually of himself. We just, we're just told it was an image of gold. But he just wanted people to know there's something new happening. He orders all the official people of the provinces, anyone of power, anyone of note, to come to the dedication of the image. The image to which every knee will bow and confess that Nebuchadnezzar is Lord. And they will specifically bow... When they hear all manner of instruments play, and if they fail to bow, they'll be put into a fiery furnace. You know the story. You know the story. So this image is erected. This idol is erected. And it's really obvious. And the question I want to ask is this. I wonder if we've got any idols in our current time. And I guess the question to try and work that is, is what does an idol look like? I, I I don't think we've got a big statue like that, particularly 90 foot tall and nine feet wide. But what do idols look like? And I think this passage helps us to kind of unpack what an idol can look like. So firstly, idols are obvious. They're attractive. They're dressed up to catch our eye. Idols are they're well advertised. They're things that you might be even be invited to get involved in. There's often a lot of noise around idols. In this instance, there was music. There's often lots of talk about it. It might be on our social media. It might be across the media. It might be in the films we watch or the TV programs. It's well advertised. Idols are well advertised. And they cause us to bow down. They they cause us to take a kind of a look and a posture that kind of bows towards it. We, We don't often contest those things. We're not always contesting the bowing, just as some of these people wouldn't have contested bowing down to the golden image. Sometimes maybe we bow to these things in fear because we don't want to be misunderstood or misrepresented. I guess we'd say in our culture, idols are rarely things that we are forced to bow down to. Although I do wonder, are those days coming? Maybe even now as you sit there, you may be able to think of a couple of things in the prevailing cultural narrative that is obvious, it's dressed up for all to see, a lot of noises being made about that over social media, in in the arts, everywhere. And we can find ourselves fearful if we don't bow down to what culture is saying and agree to what culture is saying on certain things. We can ask ourselves, what will happen if I really stand up and say what I really think in my workplace, in my university degree? What will will people really think of me at the school gate if I ever knew that I actually thought about this and thought this way about it because this is what I believe my God says? Have we got some things like that, I wonder? Idols are things that Exert control and they hold authority. They cause fear, either of not doing it or losing it or not, having been, not being seen to do it. They make us willing to compromise, maybe even to drop everything. That's what an idol is. And there's this big one that we saw the picture of in this wide open space. So what now? Well, it would seem that some people have observed that three people hadn't bowed down. I'm moving through the story now. Three people hadn't bowed down. Now, to help us picture the scene, I just wondered if you could humor me. I wondered if maybe you could all kind of stand up and imagine this is kind of like our, our idol for the morning. Not me, obviously, but this, kind of, this silver image, this chrome image, whatever this is made of at the front here. And this is where King Nebuchadnezzar has called you and he said, this is the image. And if you don't bow to this image when the music plays, you're gonna be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so everyone's gathered around and then it plays. And everyone takes their their position of bowing. So now if you sit down as your position of bowing. Everyone should be seated except for three. Okay, that was rubbish. We're going to do it again. <laughs> right? And then everyone stood back up again and went about all their daily drink. And the king, he said again to his player of instruments, <laughs> and everyone bowed. And each time this happened, the same three people remained standing together, linked-armed. And people noticed. Thank you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Very good. Give them a round of applause. They got asked to do that during worship. (laughs) That must have felt very awkward for those three guys. I wonder what that scene would have actually looked like. You've got hundreds of people bowing at this golden statue. And these three guys, wherever they would have been positioned, refusing to stand, re- refusing to bow down when the music played. And that gets noticed, doesn't it? Do you notice that when, when, you, do, when you refuse to bow to something, when you, when you take a stand, it gets noticed, doesn't it? And it might start with just someone mocking you. You might just take a bit of ridicule. Or maybe so you might start to you might start to feel isolated. People moving away from you. They don't want to. They don't want people to think that they're with you because you're standing up to something, and they don't want to be seen to stand up. So they kind of isolate you a little bit, and they move away. Some might even start to shout insults. You can imagine that in that moment, it's like you're supposed to be bowing down. Well, if you were bowing down and looking not looking at me, you wouldn't be. Anyway, they would start start shouting insults. Others still may have grabbed their phones. All right, come on, I'm stretching this, I know, but I'm talking about in modern day. Grabbed their phones, started tweeting. What, what is? There's three people not, not bowing down. It goes all over social media. The Daily Slate knew all about it. 24-hour news starts to show the red ticker ribbon at the bottom. Who are these three terrorists who refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's commands? When you take a stand, it gets noticed and not necessarily favorably. And a group known as the Chaldeans, they bring accusations to the king. And they say, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. If the king hadn't known about it, he does now. Someone's always willing to go to the top and say, did you see that group of people in Reading? They're not bowing down to what the norm is. I think we should do something about them. This, of course, causes the not-so-well-balanced king to fly into a rage again, and he calls for the offending trio, and they come before the king. These three guys didn't bow, and I think that's a powerful picture. With all these people bowing to a golden statue, some delighted to do it, others in fear of their lies, some dropping everything by choice, others compromising, but these three guys do not bow. And they're noticed and the news gets back. And they make their stand together. The reason I wanted the three guys to, to stand a linked arm was to show something of they make their stand together. They didn't stand alone. It's just as the disciples did actually on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember that moment where they kind of all tumbled out of the top room and the tongues of fire have landed on them, they're talking in tongues, they all tumble out and that moment comes where they, someone says, Oh, they're all drunk and Peter kind of gets a bit offended and he's like, we're not drunk and he stands up. He's kind of, I think he's pushed forward by the other disciples. You're the mouthy one, go on, you get up there, Peter. But it says that the other 11 stood with him. It wasn't like they pushed him to the front and went, you're there on your own, boy. There was 11 others standing with him as he spoke. They were together making a stand. There may be moments where we need to stand as a church together and make a stand against the idols of prevailing culture. And it's not going to be comfortable. Or we may even in our own lives need to find others in our lives to 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 help us not bow down to the idols that are individually influencing us and say, no, we're going to make a stand on this together. We're going to, you know, whether, whether food's an issue, I'm going to find two or three others that I'm going to stand with. We're going to diet together or we're going to not drink alcohol together or we're going to do something and we're going to stand together in this and make our stand. But they did it together. And this is a bit I love about this story, right? So they get called to the king. The king's really angry with them. They say their peace. And then, it, then say, he says this. Even when they're challenged, they refuse to back down. It says in verses 16 to 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, being thrown in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Whether God saves us in there or doesn't save us in there, we're still not bowing, mate. Do you hear it? We can get to a place sometimes, I think, where we think, oh, God hasn't come through. He must be silent on this. It must be all right for me to continue to fall off the stage. Simon fell asleep just to wake him up. <laughs> it's a small stage. I think we can get to a place where we think, oh, maybe if God's not saying something, we it must be all right. If we know we're bowing to something that isn't him, it's not all right. It's not all right. It's not all right. We need to be like these guys who say, even if we don't see God come through and do the thing we might want him to do, we're still not going to bow. The guys are clear, aren't they? They're exceptionally courageous to someone known as the King of Kings, Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the largest kingdom ever known at that time. They're saying, we would rather die than bow to your gods represented by that golden image. Liz said last week of Daniel, didn't she, that to be this courageous, that Daniel had to be very confident in who his God was. What was true for Daniel then was repeated here for his Babylon 4, for his life group, whatever you want to call it, for his small group that he stood with. They too were courageous. They knew, they were confident in who their God was so they could courageously stand. So his three pals stand together, say, no, we will not bow. And actually, this is just like Jesus. Jesus refused to bow to public opinion or pressure from the religious ruling elite when he was told to tone it down. He refused to bow. He refused to... Bow and he faced the consequences. He went to the cross, didn't he? Now, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar's not happy with this particular news, and he flies into a rage again and he tells them to make the furnace as hot as they possibly can. You know, make it seven times hotter, seven being that number that it's well, got completeness. Make it as hot as it can be. Now we don't know the details of the furnace. It was most likely the furnace that had been used to produce the gold for the image. It would have been intense and hot. And we don't know what the intent of the, we do know now that the intent of the furnace, the reason for the furnace now was to punish people who wouldn't bow. Who were going to take their stand. And in this instance it was to burn these Jewish guys up. And we do know that the furnace was hot enough to kill the men who took those three men along to be thrown into the furnace. So the doors get open or wherever it looked like. And they get thrown in. And the people that are doing that get burnt up. They get killed. Because the heat is so intense. It was fierce. It was fearful. The truth is whenever we've taken a stand or come to a point where we're going to take a stand we are going to face our own fiery furnaces and they will look what will they look like they'll they'll look like ridicule let's face it we're so serious about ourselves and take ourselves so seriously don't we we don't like to be laughed at for any reason we don't like to be ridiculed or mocked we face isolation being pushed to the fringes, to the margins. People at work won't talk to you if they know you believe certain things. You may even lose your job or your career opportunities. Maybe as a woman, you've said, I'm not going to use my sexuality to climb the ladder. And so it's capped it's you off somewhere. That's not right that you should have to do that, but it's right that you took the stand. Maybe you refuse to lie for your boss or you, 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 you're just standing up to little things and, and you know that you keep getting overlooked. Lack of career development and opportunities. What about slander? People just saying horrible things about you because they assume you know who you are and what you've done and what you've said. Fear of missing out. FOMO. That's what FOMO means. I, I have to be reminded of these acronyms. Fear of missing out. Yeah, if I don't do that, though, I won't be part. And and then it's like, and then uh, then will I get to preach the gospel? Well, if you're bowing down to something, you're not showing them the gospel anyway. About your kids being picked on or bullied at school. A couple in uh, Bosnia that I know, they went through an absolutely terrible time because they didn't conform to the Catholic or the orthodox way of doing things. They knew how God had called them to do church like we do church. And their, their children went through a terrible time at school because they wouldn't back off. They wouldn't back off. It was about, it, Jesus is about grace. He's about love. The gifts of the Spirit are for now. And he, his children were bullied at school because of those things. I think we may even face prison sometime for the things we might take a stand for. These things are all deeply uncomfortable, aren't they? You look at that list, you go, I don't really want any of that to be done about me or said about me. Things that we would rather not have happen to us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood together and refused to bow, knowing this is what was coming. And this is where the story takes its turn in the midst of the flames. These guys have taken their stand. They have faced the punishment. They've been tied up and they've been thrown into the fiery furnace, saying they would rather die than bow down to the idol put before them. And then God does what only he can do. Verse 24 to 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, did we not cast these three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Can you feel it? Something only God can do. The king sees what's going on. He can't get his head around it. He even uses words like, the fourth is like the son of the gods. Many believe this to be the pre-incarnate Jesus. I think I would be inclined to agree with them. Walking in the fiery flames, in the midst of the flames, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the worst that the king can throw at them. Jesus is there. Not not just kind of standing there a little bit distance, but there with them, walking around with them. And he's already unbound them. In the fire, in the worst that can be done, he has given them freedom. Do you see it? What can the world throw at us once we have faced the fear that Jesus cannot free us from? What can the world throw at us once we have faced the fear of it that Jesus cannot free us from? There's some stony faces out there. I want to say it one more time. What can the world throw at us once we have faced the fear That Jesus cannot free us from. Even in death, maybe the thing many of us fear the most, not necessarily the fact we die because we go to be with Jesus, but if you're anything like me, the, the way that it might happen. In death, we enter the ultimate freedom from this fallen, broken world. Not even death can hold it over us. Can I get a little hallelujah in the room? Maybe even an amen? Amen. I know we're not a Pentecostal church in that sense, but if a white hanky was to come out right now, I wouldn't be upset. Man, we've got to have this in us, haven't we? Deep in our souls, the days are coming where we are facing, forcing, being forced to bow to images. And if we stand, we're going to face the consequences. And we need to know that Jesus is in the midst of it with us, going through it with us, and freeing us from the burden of it landing on us. Do you understand it? Nebuchadnezzar sees all this and he is astonished, I love that word in the the ESV rendition, he's astonished, wow, he goes to the door of the furnace, he calls them out and when they come out it's observed that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, their hair was not singed, their cloaks not harmed and there was not even a smell of fire on them, totally vindicated by the God of heaven himself, The king is so astonished that he declares, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Do we believe that, friends? Nebuchadnezzar saw it and he declared it. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Do we believe that, friends? (laughs) When we make our stand against the idols of the world that seek to take control of us, we may and probably will face the flames. But we find true freedom with Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is only able to rescue us in this way. Jesus is the one who did not bow to the idols of comfort or or an easy life or or career progression or political correctness, but instead stood for the things that his God, his Father in heaven, had told him to stand for the kingdom of God. He's the one who faced the fire and he didn't back down, but who ultimately won our freedom by facing his flames. Jesus is the one who rose again three days later, showing that the fire had not consumed him, but that God had resurrected him. The one who promises us that same resurrection life from the moment that we choose to follow him. I got excited when I wrote those phrases. Got a bit excited when I was saying them. I know I've got an extroverted personality. So I'm told. I'm actually quite introverted, just so that you know. But I can't help but get excited about this Jesus. The one who stands with me through everything. Who frees me in the midst of the fire. we like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego get to take our stand because we know that our king is Jesus. And we have confidence that he is with us and that he will free us even in the fire. Friends, as we end, I want to take this moment for us to ask ourselves, what idols of prevailing culture do I need to take a stand against? What idols of prevailing culture do I need to take a stand against? We work on that as elders. What are the things in, you know, kind of culture that as a church we need to take a stand on? But just for this moment, just think about what about you? What about you? There's a a slide just come up behind me. Some little icons on there. I want you to take this moment. I'm going to shut up. And I just want you to do a bit of business with God. It may be you need to repent because you know you're bowing to something here. You're already in that. You're 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 postured like this towards maybe money or or your family or whatever it might be. That they have become an idol to your life. You need to repent, and you need to spiritually stand up and say, "I, I look to Jesus."